Basketball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another live edition of the ACB Advocacy Update. Here we are on night two of four of overviewing the ACB legislative imperatives for the 2022 DC Leadership Conference. I am one of your hosts, Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, and I am joined this evening by my colleague, Swatha Nandakumar from yeah, ACB's Advocacy and Irish Specialist. And good evening, Swatha. How are you good doing? Good. How are you, Clark? Are you are you excited for tonight? Yeah, excited. Let's go. Let's do it. That's the, okay. That's uh, some some mild enthusiasm, but what I'm looking for is excitement. <laughs> Let's here go, this evening. Yes, and we are excited to have everyone joining us here this evening on Zoom in the ACB community, as well as those listening on ACB Media Six over the ACB Media Network. Uh, and for those who are unable to join us tonight, this will be podcasted and made available so that we are able to share an overview of our legislative imperatives with all of our members and friends who are participating in the 2022 DC Leadership Conference, which will be held virtually. Uh, no in-person attendance required, but virtually from March 12th through March 15th. And you can learn more about the Leadership Conference, including how to register by going to the acb.org website. So Swatha, last night we talked about the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. Uh, do you wanna remind folks what those bill numbers are and what they can do to help support uh, inclusive and accessible exercise and fitness for all ACB members and people with disabilities. Yeah, so in the House, it was, or Senate, yeah, House, it was HR 4756, and Senate was S2504, and yeah, it's a bill to create, yeah, to provide extra equipment. So, um, yeah, you can talk, you can um, advocate with your hardest person about the bill and encourage your co-sponsor and encourage your co-sponsor it because co-sponsors make get the bill get the bill further further along the process. So. That's right. So please encourage when you do your your Hill meetings and your outreach, encourage your members of Congress and the Senate to co-sponsor and pass S2504 and in the House of Representatives to co-sponsor and pass the bipartisan Republicans and Democrats together as one HR 4756. Uh, the more co-sponsors we can get, the closer we can get this bill to passing. Mm -hmm. And here this evening, we will talk about another one of our legislative imperatives here for 2022. 
And Swatha, what do we have here tonight? So tonight we've got the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, or HR 4853. And this bill would establish standards for medical devices with digital displays to be accessible to people that are blind or visually impaired. And it will be so with buttons and tactile indicators and audio output. So yes, make successful for yeah, non-visual Olympic people to use. Yes, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, HR 4853. And a little bit of background on this issue. This is not a new issue, I'm sure, to many of folks who are tuning in tonight or listening on ACB Media, as well as those listening to the podcast. Um, if this is a new issue and you're a longtime ACB member and active on advocacy, uh, that means that Swatha and I are not doing our jobs adequately uh, because this is a bill that was introduced last year by Representative Jan Schakowsky from Illinois. It is now a bipartisan bill, but more on that in a little bit. And this is an issue that is uh, not new for ACB members and certainly not new for members of our special interest affiliate, ACB Diabetics in Action. So for several years, ACB members have passed resolutions urging action by ACB and especially by the broader medical industry as a whole to make durable medical equipment accessible to people with disabilities, especially people who are blind or low vision, who cannot independently access this equipment. Um, ACB over the years, uh, so, oh geez, I'm gonna date myself now. Uh, so I've just celebrated my third anniversary of working at ACB. I started February 11th, 2019. Two weeks after I started was the 2019 leadership conference. And during that leadership conference, uh, one of the first legislative imperatives that I ever worked on with ACB was dealing with this issue. And at that time, we launched a, a three-pronged approach of dealing both with legislation, uh, approaching government agencies for regulatory action, as well as uh, reaching out to our partners and pursuing legal advocacy in this space. Um, and this is an issue that still still baffles us as individuals, baffles us as members, and that we are still working to striving to make progress in addressing. Um, however, this is not only an issue that impacts our members of ACB Diabetics in Action. Um, as, as Swatho was mentioning, it's this bill would work to address the inaccessibility of durable medical equipment as well as diagnostic devices that have digital displays. So whether that's a continuous glucose monitor, 
an insulin pump, a, a pulse oximeter, a heart rate monitor, at-home chemotherapy units, CPAP machines, and others. All of these technologies, equipment, and devices that are becoming ever more present um, for our members and society as a whole as medical care out of the office and at home is becoming more commonplace and more ubiquitous. Um, there is a shocking lack of accessibility and regard for the needs of people with disabilities in the development, design, and testing, as well as government approval and purchasing of this equipment. So last year, uh, Representative Schakowsky worked to introduce this bill, HR 4756. ACB issued a call to action supporting this legislation uh, last summer, uh, whether it was uh, August or September. And Swatha and I, along with the ACB Get Up and Get Moving campaign, as well as ACB Diabetics in Action, held an advocacy primer related to this legislation last November. Um, so... <laughs> So, so I, I said it a bit in jest earlier, and Swatha and I, if you haven't heard about this, Swatha and I haven't been doing our jobs because there have been multiple opportunities to learn about this legislation. And uh, here we are in February of 2022, uh, and we are going to make sure that folks are familiar with this legislation, that you are aware of it, that you're ready to promote it and you're ready to encourage further bipartisan support for this legislation in both the House and Senate. Um, so Swatha, you wanna share with our listeners tonight more about what this bill would do to ensure accessibility um, for medical devices and diagnostic equipment? Yeah, absolutely. So this bill would kind of would require the FDA and the export to create um, guidelines or regulations around accessible DME. So, so equipment that comes with digital interfaces would or the manufacturers of the, the manufacturers of those of those devices would ha, would be required to make them accessible either by adding audible indicators or tactile um, features or speech output. Yeah, thanks, Swatha. So the goal here is really, really clear, right? Um, this is equipment that should be made accessible for everyone. Um, it's, a, it's equipment that we know uses digital user interfaces and can be made accessible, certainly mm -hmm. with, for non-visual access for our members in the broader blindness community. 
Um, the interesting thing about this legislation, you know, previously we've talked about the need for accessible, durable medical equipment. And this is specific equipment approved by uh, the FDA, uh, you know, classes of equipment um, to, be, to be certified and used. Um, but the, the FDA processes are a little bit more complex than that. The FDA has a, a class approval system for uh, medical devices and equipment, class one, two, and three. And class one devices are very you know, uh, typical run-of-the-mill devices. Say, for example, a chair in a doctor's office that has an armrest for measuring your blood pressure um, or, or getting you know, a booster shot or a vaccine, right? Um, mm -hmm. another class one device could be like a, a stethoscope, something, or a, uh, a tongue depressor, things like that. Yeah. But so class things that are non-invasive, things that are non-invasive, minimally invasive, or exactly, exactly. Things that you, you know, you sit on, you lay on, um, you touch, but they're not, as Swatha said, they're not invasive or minimally invasive. Um, so you know, I, I'd love to see a tongue depressor that has a, a digital display and requires additional accessibility, <laughs> but I, I'm not sure one exists. Please put it in the chat if I'm wrong and we can have that conversation offline. Uh, but class two and three medical devices, these are devices that are, you know, class two more moderately invasive. They could be, um, collecting or interacting with, you know, with the patient's body, with bodily fluids um, and things like that. And then class three could be actually implanted devices, you know, that are with you for a long period of time or that you have to live with. So in a lot of cases, the accessibility barriers on these class two and three medical devices, whether they are durable medical equipment like um, continuous glucose monitors, um, or they could be a class three device like a, an insulin pump, which is uh, something even more invasive still. Uh, these are devices that are going to be with you for a, a long period of time. These are going to be complex devices that have digital displays, that have uh, you know, connectivity capabilities to be able to report and share information with your healthcare provider or with, uh, you know, uh, folks who are um, either guardians or provide patient services or caretaker services for an individual. Uh, but this is information that folks who have these devices need access to as well so that they can still live independently um, as, and privately manage their conditions as much as possible. So that's why this bill references class two and three medical devices um, and diagnostic equipment, as opposed to specifically mentioning accessible, durable medical equipment like we have in previous efforts. So I just wanted to make that point clear. 
Another interesting part about this bill, Swatha, is that this is not only an ACB initiative. Isn't that right? This is a this is a broader initiative that's shared by more organizations in the blindness community, not only ACB. Yeah, exactly. This this more so reflects the far-reaching um, implications of having non non having accessible medical, medical equipment. So this bill was um, or is also an initiative of the National Federation of the, the, the Blind. So it's also um, kind of reflects and also an initiative of us. So we share in that effort. So. That's right. It's, as Swatha said, um, this is this bill is an imperative of NFB as well, and it was actually NFB that worked with Shikowski's representative Shikowski's office to introduce this bill last year. Um, but it, as previously stated, this has been an issue that has been uh, front of advocacy efforts for multiple years for both ACB and NFB, and for both of our affiliates uh, dealing with diabetes and other healthcare issues. So through, once this bill was introduced, um, ACB had conversations with ACB Diabetics in Action, and they strongly urged our support for this legislation uh, because this, this bill addresses not only an ACB imperative, but not only an NFB imperative, but accessible health care, which is a necessity for all people with vision loss. Um, you know, whether you're affiliated with a membership organization or not. Um, so we are actively supporting this initiative. Um, kudos to our colleagues at NFB. They held their DC meetings earlier in the month in February. And this bill now has, uh, last, I, last I checked, 18 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives, including a Republican co-sponsor, um, Representative Herrera Butler from Washington State. So this is now officially a bipartisan piece of legislation, but we need to do more to encourage additional co-sponsors in the House, as well as to encourage Senate introduction of a companion bill, basically a, a Senate version of this House Bill HR 47, excuse me, 4853, uh, so that the bill can eventually be passed by both the House and Senate and signed into law. So that, Swatha, that's the big ask for this imperative, right? For in the House of Representatives, for additional bipartisan co-sponsors to 4853, and in the Senate for... Go ahead. Introduce, introduce the bill, yeah, or introduce the Senate companion. Yes, introduce that Senate companion bill and work to make that Senate companion bill as well.
Um, Swatha, anything that, that we've missed here uh, regarding the overview of the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act? I don't believe so. I think, I think co covered it all. Okay, so I, I think you're right. I think we covered the specifics of the imperative. And before we open it up to Q&A, um, this is a bill that is dealing with access to healthcare, and we're we're discussing healthcare access during a global pandemic. Um, so, Swatha, what are some of the things that folks might raise on why having accessible healthcare is so important for people with disabilities when meeting with the their members of Congress and their staff? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like the personal personal impact of the pandemic, like it's it wasn't ever easy for us to manage our health independently, and it's, got, it's gotten even more important now to, now than ever to be able to manage our health independently and safely. And yeah, and um, given that, um, like yesterday, we mentioned yesterday that um, people with vision loss are at high risk for more COVID, comorbid conditions. That um, it's become it's very important for us to be able to manage and kind of maintain health, our health, our health, and if we need this this device, especially if we have like diabetes or other um, man conditions that require management or required on maintenance or like the checking and then, yeah, the check-ins, so. Absolutely, so yes. Um, please share with the staff and your members of Congress um, how any, I guess, any difficulties or any issues that you, family members, loved ones, fellow ACB members are having with independent access to healthcare, how having uh, private and independent access to durable medical equipment and medical uh, you know, devices would better make you able to manage your health conditions independently and privately um, and there are also additional barriers that, that prevent folks from having equal access to healthcare. It could be transportation. It could be broadband access in rural Amer in you know, rural parts of the country. Um, all of these are relevant to this issue, and we certainly want to make sure that folks have access to the tools and resources necessary to to take take charge of their health and get up and get moving and Congress supporting the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act is a big step forward to making that possible and making that happen. And first up, we have Melody. Hi, Clark and Swathi, teammate quite a pair. Um, is it ideal to um, bring up the specifics of issues such as the heart monitor study um, that was supposed to be 30 days that I needed that the, the issues as far as not only transmitting the 
data and reading the issues and not knowing if a stat would be called, but knowing where the battery levels were on the transmitters and if it was placed correctly and things like that, or the glucometers and, and not just the, the meter that you need right now to get a reading currently, but the one to read past saved monitors or readings, I'm sorry, and not enter coding and get the smallest drop of blood and how to help doctors understand what we need so they can prescribe it in order to claim to insurance and also suggest um, possible ways to resolve the accessibility issues such as pairing um, the medical devices with mobile devices or braille displays, Bluetooth or creating apps to help us. And also is it ideal to bring up specific access issues with telehealth services, even though that's for the website and app accessibility imperative because this is the non-visual medical device accessible. And I'm sorry, and this is uh, your name again? This is Melody Holloway. Melody, so are these all your personal experiences with uh, medical devices and diagnostic equipment? Yes, they had the same heart monitor issue that Dan had had and was supposed to get a 30-day study, and it was like a five-day, and I didn't get the thing sent for a couple of weeks after it was prescribed, and then I had to send it back, and there was no understanding with either the heart hospital or the preventive solutions, and I tried several times with the um, contacting the um, manufacturer, and they didn't know how to help me, and I don't have anyone at my beck and call, nor do I have a guardian or POA and had provided care in the past and any sighted person that may be there at any time does not feel comfortable to put their hands on medical equipment. I actually am fine with it if I just knew what to do with it. So yes, things like that. And the telehealth care with Wi-Fi affordability and access and things, it's and the accessibility of certain portals and it, it, it's tough. And transportation is to get in, especially if you're symptomatic of long haul COVID and it's thought to be COVID and they you know, say no and you pay in for it. And, paratransit's 90 minutes out scheduling. So it's all of those things kind of connect. And I had suggested to prevent the solutions, some of those technology issues and how they could work around it that we generally don't do well with Androids and they had no idea what to do. I don't know how to do that without becoming too detailed and then having the LAs kind of feel sorry for us and then focusing on what braille displays and screen readers are However, that might not be a bad idea because then they'll know what technologies are available and maybe focus more. Melody, if it was up to me, I would put you in my pocket and bring you to every Hill meeting to share these experiences with every office that we talk to about these issues. Um, yes, yes, a thousand times, yes. Uh, it is appropriate to share your personal experiences, um, especially as it relates to these issues, especially as it outlines the, the struggles and the efforts taken to try to work with doctors and uh, technology providers to work through these issues. Um, it underscores the need for Congress and the Food and Drug Administration to act in this regard. Um, so, uh, Melody, where uh, do you plan to participate in the, the Hill meetings following the leadership conference? 
I hope so. I know the call is streamed. I registered the day after I received the email, which is actually I came from the hospital. Um, and I, I just don't know with my situation how well I'm going to do as far as the privacy. I do hope to. Sure. And I did contact my congresswoman several months back when ACBDA sent the alerts about the Fitness for All Act and the um, Non-Visual Device Medical Accessibility Act via phone and email. She did, one of her staff did respond to me. I also just took a second action affordable insulin this morning and spent all day typing, had to take some out. I was too detailed. And I would love to help further. I just have to, my own personal circumstances have to change in here. Sure, sure. Um, so I guess one thing to keep in mind, so you are, you are an expert in, in this arena, right? You have the, you have the lived experience, you have the um, you know, the trials and tribulations, you've been in the arena, you strived valiantly. Um, it is possible that you have, for a, for a congressional staffer, it, especially in an, in an initial meeting, it's possible that you have too much information, right? Like, depending on the staffer that you're speaking with, they could be well-versed in health legislative issues. Um, they could be a, a legislative correspondent who's new to the office and deals with uh, responding to constituent concerns. You could speak, be speaking to the member themselves who knows that they want to serve their constituents, but they don't have the same depth of knowledge as their staff, right? Um, so I guess one thing that I would say is that initially, um, initially stay more on the surface and talk about the global, the global needs and difficulties, as well as share, um, you know, share at a higher level, the, the inaccessibility barriers that you have faced. And if you get the sense that they are well-versed in this issue, or if they would like to follow up for further, more in-depth conversations, um, feel free to offer that. But it, it could potentially be overwhelming, right? Like you, you obviously have more personal experience with this issue than, than Swatha or I have, right? So how can you make the, those experiences relatable to individuals who don't have your shared experiences. Um, does that make sense? Yes. Thank you so much for your confidence in me. And Swatha, thank you for your, your help before. I don't take that for granted. You're going to go far. You're doing so well. Oh, you're great, well, thank, thank you, Melody. And we hope that you are able to participate because you're your experience and the ability of, of people like you uh, to be able to share your personal experiences are, are really what's going to drive this issue home and help encourage members of Congress to support this legislation. Ironically, I registered last year and was in the hospital for a week and did not get to participate. It was unplanned. So this is my second go. <laughs> Thanks. Well, and then another thing I'll add, this is, this is not a one-time thing, right? Like if you're, 
if folks are unable to participate the week of the leadership conference, uh, this material is available. It'll be available on the ACB website. We will have the podcast of these recordings. We'll have uh, background materials on these four imperatives. Um, and anyone can call or email their members of Congress to schedule appointments and discuss these issues. And we certainly encourage everyone after the leadership conference to continue contacting and building those relationships with your members of Congress. So th this is not a one and done, this is not a one and done event. And certainly uh, everyone will be uh, more effective advocates if we can build these relationships um, and become trusted, reliable points of contact for our elected officials going forward. We can go to Steve Bauer next. Thank you. I'm curious if this legislation strictly deals with hardware or does it address at all software apps, you know, especially in the, in the diabetes space um, for, um, you know, insulin readings and stuff like that that are done with software, or is this bill strictly address the hardware part of it? Sure. That's a good question, Steve. So my understanding is that this legislation applies to the hardware uh, for the devices and equipment approved by the, the FDA is class two and three devices. Um, specific to software though, um, I, I would want to, to follow up to give you an accurate answer. So Swatha and I are scheduled to speak about this issue uh, during our imperatives overview at the legislative seminar on Monday, March 14th. And I hope to have an answer then. In general, we have found that the, the software, although mildly accessible, is still more accessible than a lot of the hardware, especially the, uh, the readers included or the displays included with a lot of these devices. Uh, but we are aware that, that, that more work needs to be done in the software arena as well. I understand. I just wanted to know what this legislation specifically addressed so that I could talk to people about, you know, the ask for this particular bill as opposed to, yes, we need this too. <laughs> but thank you. I'll, I'll be there on Monday. Yeah. And a, a bit more color and background on the, the software related issue. Um, there, there's been, um, is specific to continuous glucose monitors as they've developed the the reusable, um, you know, components that you can leave on your body for two weeks or three weeks. Um, those devices have been getting covered as durable medical equipment because of the component that's reusable that you leave on your body. Um, but that the individual use of a smartphone is still not, you know, covered equipment by, um, you know, by insurance, right? They'll, they'll cover the use of a continuous glucose monitor because of those reusable patches, but whether you use the included reader um, or if you use your personal smartphone with the, the app for that reader, um, that that's not covered to my understanding. Is that, is that your understanding as well, Steve? 
Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I wasn't sure because, you know, okay. uh, but uh, it, it makes sense that, you know, the, the, especially if the FDA is not approving the software, they're just approving the hardware, then uh, that would make sense. Yeah. So it, as, as it relates to the specific legislation, let it, let us uh, go back, go back to the well, as it were, and we'll have, we'll have a specific answer dealing with this question on March 14th. So thank you. Donna Browning. So the first thing, last night I was watching the news and one of the things that I heard them say was uh, how uh, telemedicine had made medicine more accessible for all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can only imagine what went through my mind, right? So my thought is we need to hit these uh, networks or TV stations and get them to straighten that out and to understand that they're wrong in what they're saying. You might want to, I'm just suggesting you might want to hit them and, you know, say, you're wrong and you need to put this on Um, because obviously that was incorrect information. Um, The other thing um, so like I had an experience recently where, um, you know, they have it now where you could send your blood pressure readings with a access with a device that is, uh, connected to your phone and you could send blood pressure readings to your doctor. There was, you know, they, they have a little link they give to you and I still haven't figured mm-hmm. out how to do it. Still haven't figured out how they want me to do this. Anyhow. And um, the problem is the device. So I had a blood pressure uh, monitor that was one that talked, but the one that Kaiser gave me to use for this particular situation does not talk. Problem. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know, I'm like, and, and it was smaller, which meant the print was smaller on the device, which made it even worse for me you know my one that talked the print was big it talked but i can't use that to send send my readings um so uh, i'm assuming this is a situation that i can speak to my representative about um explaining why we need to make this happen am i correct what do you think swatha yeah, I think you're correct. Um, there's definitely an issue of choice and of like having one device, but that device is not like, the preferred for the provider. So definitely, definitely bring it up, bring it up, and make it an example of um, of how we need more than just one device. So we make the majority of devices accessible so that more people can use them and can access them. So. Yes, Donna, I agree with Swatha uh, 100%. Yes, share that experience as to why this legislation is necessary and urge your members of Congress to co-sponsor. Because as you said, you had a heart rate monitor that you liked and that worked for you, but that heart rate monitor could not connect to your phone and provide feedback to your doctor. Your doctor supplied a heart rate monitor that they wanted you to use, but that and and 
the heart rate monitor they supplied would connect to your phone and provide feedback to your doctor. However, the one that they provided was not accessible. It would not allow you to connect it to your phone. You didn't know what the readings were. You couldn't independently use it. So that is a perfect example of why this legislation is needed so that whether it's a heart monitor, um, you know, for a heart condition or a heart scan like Melody was talking about that you have to wear for 20 or 30 days and it provides constant feedback to your doctor or it's something that they want you to wear on a daily basis, you know, or it's at any other types of diagnostic or monitoring equipment that provides feedback to caretakers or doctors and physicians. We need access to this equipment because like you said, Donna, telemedicine holds the promise to make healthcare more accessible for everyone. For folks who live in rural communities that have to travel long distances, for folks with disabilities, or in communities where transportation is lacking that don't that can't get to the doctor's office, um, even if it's relatively close by, this sort of equipment and this technology uh, makes it possible for us to better manage and independently care for our health conditions. And if this technology is not accessible, then we don't have the same access, uh, the same levels of access as everyone else. So thank you for that question and that example. That was a, that was a great example of why this legislation is needed. Uh, how about now we, we do a little bit of role playing and uh, I'll ask Swatha to act as an ACB member going to speak with her uh, member of Congress, the Honorable Katie Frederick. All right, let's go. Let's we'll see what Katie. Hello, Miss uh, Frederick. Um, my name is Swatha Nanda Kumar. I am a member of the American Council of Blind, and I'm here to talk to you today about this about. Um, a bill called the Medical Device Knowledge Accessibility Act. So what this bill would do is it would establish guidelines and standards through the FDA and through the Access, Access Board to require manufacturers to um, implement accessible features onto class or durable medical equipment, so the equipment that um, has a digital interface and that has um, that is class classified as class 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 two or three according to FDA. The majority of at home youth medical equipment, like glucose monitors or heart rate monitors or um, insulin pumps, that come with digital, digital interfaces, they don't. Not accessible to blind or low vision users. So if they can't use the devices or figure access or access access what's what the devices are telling that are telling them, then 
we really can't manage their health independently or use or um, use the device properly or safely. So it, it makes for all of issues of privacy concerns and um, safety concerns and just it's frustrating when you're when you're blind and you can't when you um, can't use something that you have to that like and you have to share. Um, so there's just such information within a, within a person that might or that um, when you can't use something, so it's frustrating at that point. So um, this this act still would help solve that or help um, mitigate that that frustration for a lot of us. Great, and you know, um, because I'm you know in Congress and we're always concerned about about costs and and our budget. So, you know, how much how much would this cost to um, to make this accessible to more people? Well, for a lot of this, um, this kind of technology already, already exists. There's lots. There are um, our smartphones, our computers, all all have built-in screen readers and they both they all built in disability. So it's not like we have to reinvent the wheel here. It's um it's already there, so it's not gonna cost a ton. Um so yeah, this it already exists. So we'd have to implement it and phase it in to these devices that are on the market or going to market. So well, that's great. I didn't realize that um, there was some technology built into equipment already. So that's that's good to know. And so that is um, good that it won't be a huge overhaul to this, um, to making this equipment more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. You have any, any, any questions for me? Um, I. Oh yes, um, can you talk a little bit about is are there others um, supporting this legislation? Any of my any of my colleagues? I always like to join with them when I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this bill was introduced by Representative Jan Schakowsky from Illinois, and it's also a bipartisan bill. So there are sponsors, there are co-sponsors, and both the Republican and Democratic Party. So. Yes, this has broad support and broad appeal. It has 18, 18 co-sponsors. So, and also mentioned that there's one public on there. So it has That's broad great. appeal. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will be sure to um, look into this more and um, look, look forward to joining my colleagues in sponsoring this. So thank yes. you. Of course. And um, here's my business card for, so you can follow up with me after if you, if you, if you can follow, follow, up, follow, up and, follow up and stay in touch. So. Great. Well, thank you so much for of your course. time. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I'll keep calling you the honorable. You might get used to it, but thank you, Katie. And thank you, Swatha. <laughs> uh, Katie, I loved your question about cost because that's always something that folks want to know in Congress. And Swatha, I thought you did a great job of addressing that question. Um, we, you know, we don't know the specific cost of what something like this will take to implement, but we do know the technology is already available. And I loved how you said, we're not asking manufacturers or government to reinvent the wheel. 
It's technology that already exists. It's out there. We need it to be required in medical equipment as well. Um, and Swatha, great job with offering to you know, share your information and follow up because it's always important to follow up on these Hill meetings. Um, we encourage everyone and their affiliates to share feedback with the ACB National Office. Um, and we will have a Hill feedback survey that folks will be able to complete. You can also email your feedback to advocacy at acb.org. And then uh, in addition to sharing your feedback with us, it's also important to always send, you know, send a thank you. Um, have that second point of contact with the staff and with the office with whom you spoke. And then that will provide opportunities for future engagement in the future. So Katie, anything you thought that that, that went particularly well in that role play? Well, I think um, just, you know, Swatha providing a brief overview of the legislation is good. Um, you know, just briefly explaining it. Um, I think including in the um, introduction about, you know, this this is bipartisan legislation. That is key. I, in my experience, the staffers that I've met with do appreciate knowing and hearing when you know, their colleagues and colleagues across the aisle are working together on initiatives that seems to draw their attention to it more, um, as well as, you know, again, the, the cost question that I did ask, I intentionally asked that because I've been asked that before as someone who's gone to the hills. So um, I think, you know, for me, what I would say to those who this might be your first time where you haven't done this much is, you know, keep it brief, but also, you know, make it personal explain how you as a person who is blind or has low vision, you know, would love to exercise more, but you can't use some of the equipment or, um, you know, can't get to a gym or whatever your situation may be. Um, the more personal you can make it, the more impact it has as well. Thanks, Katie. And Swatha, what did you think about the role play? What do you think went uh, went well, or what points should folks take away from that role play? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that Kate's questions were really great, especially the one about um, how it's going to impact you or the planet or the community that you're part of. Um, definitely should share, like, that's a good opening to share um, personal stories or share why, why it's necessary for you or for your community. Um, yeah, it's definitely a great way to talk about what you would, what, what, how you benefit from this because they want to hear about that. A lot. They, they like, they like hearing about, hearing about how their constituents, 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 um, benefit or how they, um, feel about, feel about this legislation. So. That's great. Thanks, Swatha. And Chanel, can we do one more call for hands on this topic and see if the folks have any, any final questions? Probably have time for one or two more questions. And other than that, we will call it a wrap for the night. And All right. We do have one person. Debbie, you may unmute. <coughs> and Thank you are you. unmuted. There you go. Yes. Um, the, the question about cost, I think, is really important. And I'm glad it came up. Um, 
is when a legislator asks about cost, are they asking if there is going to be cost for uh, uh, from federal money, or is is the taxpayer going to be asked to pay more? Uh, and it, is that is that the question that they're asking? Um, do you understand what I'm saying? I do, I do, and that could be a multifaceted question. It could be a I, question. I, oh, go ahead. I think because I think the the answer may, if I understand this correctly, it may cost more for the manufacturer to to produce a a, a device that has uh, speech output. But that cost would be passed on to the consumer or insurance provider, whoever's paying for the equipment, and there would be no cost to the federal government um, for for this, um, you know, for, for this the, uh, legislation. Is that correct? Do you see what I'm saying? I do see what you're saying, and. I, I don't think any of us have the knowledge to to accurately answer that question. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. But yes. what I will say is that the the development costs should not be significant because this is technology that already exists and is available in the market. Okay. Good. And then also, I would remind them about what's the what's the alternative? The alternative to having a accessible equipment that individuals can use independently while living in their homes, integrated as active members of their community, is for people to be institutionalized and yes. have, uh, you know, and, and have assisted living or long-term care, yes. um, which, which we know the costs are significantly higher. And if the because, only reason, yeah. yeah. And if the only reason that somebody's being put into um, assisted living or long-term care is because they cannot independently measure their blood sugar level. That yeah. is wrong. That is also, not right. It would also um, place a higher um, burden on the hospital system or on the medical system in general. Because if you can't, like, if you can't act as the information about your own health or um, independently like, safely manage your health, then you're going to put yourself at risk for more complications and for um, mm -hmm. more, health, more health issues. So it's going to put a burden on the healthcare system. So that's also- Yes, yeah. Preventing, preventing conditions from getting worse um, is, is exactly. a really key um, motivator for this. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks so, so much for what you're doing there. Yeah, so it, it might seem like a, on some levels, it might seem like a non-answer. Um, but I think the important thing to remember is uh, it, <laughs> maybe this is a little bit too much uh, like Beltway or DC talk, but, um, you know, 
You don't always have to answer the question that's asked, but you can answer the question that you want to answer. And that, sure. and that would be that the costs of doing nothing uh, far exceed the cost of making this equipment accessible, whether that's a Swatha outlined because it would require uh, emergency room and hospital visits due to poorly managed care, whether it would require dis additional in-person medical appointments sure. uh, to, to appropriately manage care, or it's because individuals are being institutionalized because they don't have the tools necessary to manage these conditions at home. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, and we are here at the, the top of our hour. Uh, so Swatha, I'd just like to ask you to give, give folks their final takeaway on legislative imperative for the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, and then we'll sign off here this evening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to recap, this bill would, would make um, more medical devices accessible for blind and low vision users and people who need them. Um, so yeah, just encourage your representative in the House to co-sponsor this bipartisan, this bipartisan bill and, and encourage your senator to introduce or... Um, yeah, introduce and sponsor when they're introduced, so. Yes, perfect, thank you so much. Um, House members, co-sponsor the Bipartisan Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, HR 4853. And senators, introduce and or support the introduction of a Senate companion bill. Uh, this is our second legislative imperative. We will have another one for you tomorrow night and then our fourth imperative on Friday night. Um, so if you have any additional questions, please reach out to Swatha and me at by emailing advocacy at acb.org. Thank you to your time here this evening for everyone on Zoom as well as ACB Media. And we will close out Swatha by saying, keep advocating. Keep advocating.